May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. The scripture today is from Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for, the love, for love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. It flashes, its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters do not quench love neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. Thank you, Gail. I'm going to welcome up Carol to come join me up here. Thank you so much, Carol. I, I am excited to be sort of formally wrapping up our summer series with you, Carol, and I'm going to, uh, I'll, I'll throw the hard questions your way in a moment. I'll, I'll start with the softball. Um, I'm going to ask you to, to think back, uh, you know, to some of your, your youngest days, and I, I'm curious, when did poetry capture your heart? And are there any early memories or stories that stand out to you as kind of a, oh, that was the hook. I was really, really lucky. My grandmother gave me my first poetry book, which I have here, which as you can see, it's all dog-eared and beaten up. And my parents read to me out of this before I could even sit up. And some of you may remember, I mean, some of those early poems, the one I remember the most was The Lobster Quadrille, um, by Lewis Carroll that went, will you, won't you, will you, won't you, will you join the dance? They were fun poems. I mean, I learned to love poetry from the very beginning. I can remember my father and my grandfather standing up at the dining room table and reciting poems by heart. They would just stand up and pick one and, and start to recite it. Um, and then when I was seven, my father bought me my first typewriter and I started writing poems immediately. My first poem was Marjorie Dillon and Mac McGee. That was a tragic ballad. Everyone died. <laughs> and, and you were seven when you wrote that? I was seven, okay. yes. And it was rhyming, rhyming and rhythm. And now I write almost completely in free verse, which is no rhyme or rhythm. Um, and then my eighth grade teacher, oh, she was a marvelous, marvelous teacher. She taught the best series on poetry, and in fact, I turned this into Brennan as well. This was my project in eighth grade. It was all my favorite poems, and I've kept it ever since, and I still refer to it. And a lot of you are going to remember those poems. I mean, these, Alfred Lord Tennyson, The Charge of the Light Brigade, you know, half a league, half a league, half a league onward, and... Longfellow's Paul Revere's Ride, Listen, My Children, and You Will Hear, um, Alfred Noyes, The Highwayman, The Highwayman Came Riding, Riding, um, Robert Frost, Stopping My Woods on a Snowy Evening. So that's what I, that's the, that was passed to me from a very early age when I really started to love poetry. 
That's wonderful. I, I'm glad you had so many people um, who, who are passionate about poems in your lives. You know, as you mentioned that, I, I picture in much the same way, I, I don't know how often this happens nowadays, but I know for a long time, a lot of times there would be multi-families living together and you know, often the matriarch, I think often the grandma and the family would, would read scripture at night. And, and, and I, I, I kind of see this very similar thing happening of this, this sacred time that is the bedtime book time, being a chance to help a child enter this special landscape, whether, you know, whether that is scripture for some families or, or poetry or, or even fiction reading, the sort of let us transport to another place for a time, share this moment together. And um, oh, I'm, I'm so glad you had that wonderful mentors in your life. Let's talk about the opposite of that experience. Because I know when we, were, um, when we were dialoguing back and forth, you mentioned some frustration with how, at times, with how poetry is often talked about in school. And uh, I, while being kind here, I'm gonna say that you, you went off on a wonderful tangent for me. And I'm wondering if, if, if I could you up to do similar. Because um, you've got some pretty strong feelings uh, about wonderful ways to share poetry with others, but also potentially harmful might be a, too big of a word, but not helpful word. ways. Yeah. It's a good word. Yes. I'm, I'm comfortable with taking, I think the reason Brennan did this was, Peter, I, I got COVID last Friday. I have tested not, negative. Not two days I'm ago, fine. Friday. Not two days ago. No, yeah. a week ago. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, and we're, we're still being careful, but I've tested negative. I've been out and about. I went through the quarantine yep. and all that. So I think I'm okay, and I'm far enough away from everybody. But it's, is that okay with you, yeah, Brennan? Sure. I'm having trouble with it, too, because my glasses are steaming up. <laughs> and I can't take them off, because then I can't read. <laughs> sure. Um, so just to re reiterate, you've been testing negative and symptom-free yes. for a number of days now. That Peter has had nothing, yeah. absolutely nothing. Not right. that I'm resentful about that at all. But anyway. <laughs> so uh, continuing the yes. theme of resentment of your wonderful husband, Peter, <laughs> who is an academic, yes. uh, you shared some feelings with me about how academia at times approaches poetry and how it maybe can lead people away from this really beautiful and potentially very accessible subject matter. Yes. Ordinary people used to read poetry all the time. I found little poems that my grandmother had clipped out of the newspaper. This was in the early 1900s when poetry was on the front page of the paper every day. And ordinary people read poetry. And then, no offense to the academics, which includes my husband, but I think in the early 20th century, the academics ran off with poetry. They started writing a lot of poems that you had to stand on your head and study for hours to figure out what on earth they were saying. I'm sorry, to this day, I still don't understand half the poems in The New Yorker. I just don't. And ordinary people stopped reading. And I think it was also ruined in school for a lot of people. I know Nora said that she was not fond of poetry. When I grew up, I found that a lot of my friends and educated, interesting people who read a lot didn't like poetry. And I thought this was ruined for them somewhere. Um, and there's no excuse for it. There is such good poetry out there. I think all of you 
there's a poet for every one of you. If you don't like poetry yet, you just haven't found your poet. Um, you know, Carol, I, if I can say in a very similar vein, uh, just a quick interjection, um, theology and spirituality, I think, suffered much the same fate in a lot of places. Yes. We kind of shifted from this culture of, I alluded to earlier, the multi-generational household and, and the matriarch often the family is passing down these stories. That is how it had been for generations, yes. for centuries, uh, even millennia, as we talk about the older faith traditions. And we had this professionalization of the church and suddenly, yes. you know, people like me with degrees are looked to as those who spout the proper theology or the proper ways to pray. And I'm just a person. And each of you have lived so much more life experience than me, or at least different life experience than me. And, and you all have your own valid words for poetry, your own understandings of God, ways to pray. And yeah, I, just, I see a similar thing in the church sometimes where yes. we kind of cede it to the professionals and then something is lost. And how often you're sitting there thinking, I don't understand a thing this person said. That doesn't happen here with, with <laughs> to be well, clear. But. And most of us remember too, um, most, most of us, I think a lot of us older, older people read Shel Silverstein to your kids when they were mm -hmm. little. Um, my kid's favorite poem was, uh, there are too many kids in this tub. There are too many elbows to scrub. I just washed it behind that I know isn't mine. There are too many kids in this tub. And they would laugh and they would say, turn the page, turn the page, read the next one. So it, it, it doesn't have to be that way, and yet I think it has. Um, and it flooded over into my own frustration about my own poetry, that when I started trying to submit my poems to the esteemed academic journals, I kept getting rejections over and over, and I would try to write a little differently so I would fit in. It reminded mm. me of something you said mm. last week, Brennan. You talked about a remember who you are, the expectations of others. And finally a friend said to me, why are you trying to write like that? You don't write like that. You don't read poetry like that. And ordinary poets fell out of my head and the book came from that. I stopped writing for other people and started writing for what my heart said. So I think on that note, um you know, we're going to be wrapping up this series, and, and I know a lot of folks have enjoyed having these poems posted on the wall and, and, and new authors and hearing um, what other people feel inspired by. Um, you kind of have the story of having poems kind of read to you and then struggling to find your own voice and then kind of realizing, no, I, I want to come back to what I love, and I'm going to write what I love, I'm going to read what I love. Would you offer similar advice or encouragement you know, to those of us in the room who maybe uh, haven't always jived with poetry or it's not been our thing? Or, or Well, what advice would you have for those of us who maybe still feel new to this area and feel like, oh, that's not for me? I want to quote one of my favorite poets, um, Billy Collins. If you haven't read Billy Collins, please read Peter's Laughing. We've got a couple, I have all of his books. Um, uh, but there are a couple poems that just make us laugh out loud. He's so delightful and he's so accessible. Um, Billy Collins said, I think of the novelist as a house guest. The poet is more someone who just appears. You know, a door opens and there's the poet. She says something about life or death, closes the door and is gone. Not overstaying your welcome, you might say. While the novelist is banging away at his typewriter, the poet is watching a fly on a windowpane. 
In a poem, you have the greatest freedom in language, no allegiance to plot, consistency, character development. You can fly. Um, and I, I think if you can think of that going, if you're starting to read a poem and you think, oh, I'm not sure, I like to stop and go read something else. It should be fun. It should be delightful. It should speak to the heart. Mm. So we have your formal permission, St. Luke published poet, author, to stop reading a poem if it's not speaking yes. to us. Please. Okay. Don't. And go find a new one. <laughs> and maybe we can come ask you for suggestions. Um, so I, I am wondering, so yourself as a, as a poet, um, I mean, we, we have lived through so many big ups and downs. Um, and even in the midst of those big changes, there's also just been a lot of space and a lot of the absence from normal rituals and maybe some more chances to observe and ponder, to, to look at flies on a window, to go Billy Collins there. Uh, I'm wondering what you have been noticing and pondering yourself lately as a poet and uh, if you have, if anything has struck to you or if any new poems are falling out of your mind onto a page. First of all, I want to say thank you to you, Brennan, and Nora. Where's Nora? Keep, there we go. Um, you got me through those first few weeks of COVID. Um, reading meditations, reading poems, we felt so disconnected and so scared, not being able to go out and be with everyone. Um, I was reading in Time the other day a poetry by, and I've got to look at how to pronounce his name. Our poets are always with us. Every culture, every country has their poets. Zurhi Zayden, he's Ukraine's most beloved poet. He's also a rock star. He's in a rock band. And I want to say to all of you young people and kids, if you say, say you don't listen to poetry, yeah, you do. If you listen to music, you're listening to poetry all the time. You know, Billie Eilish, Ed Sheeran, Cloud Cult, uh, Chainsmokers, you're, you're listening to poetry all the time. And this Ukrainian poet, his poems will break your heart. I went online to try to pick one that I could bring to read. And they're, they're, they're very sad. He's writing about loss and what they're going through. And they're all listening to him because he understands what they're going through. Um, and for some of you who are old enough to remember in the 60s, a movie came out called Dr. Zhivago. That's when I decided I wanted to become a poet. And there's a wonderful line at the end of the movie where Yuri has died and the Russians are filing by his grave and his brother, who's a communist, whose government has forbidden people to read his poetry, says how the Russians love their poets. And here they are wandering by his grave and they're still reading his poetry. So. And I, I did bring one that I wrote, should I read that? Oh. No. Um, this was out walking in Big Willow. And I called it Crows. And th this is one of your, your own? Yes. And it's a new one? Has it ever been heard in a... In a Peter's heard it. Okay. So other than Peter, no, which once again, we'll just ignore Peter. This is a premiere. This is not an academic <laughs> poem. No, Peter understands non-academic poetry. So out walking in the cold of winter, I hear a cacophony of crows soaring in from all directions to roost in the trees beside the creek. So many I can't count. There's no question they are flocking together just to talk. 
cackling, cheering, hopping from perch to perch, little groups form, dissolve, reassemble. They're clearly visiting old friends, flying over to check in, have a word, off to another branch. They are chattering with one another. You see such gatherings in warmer weather, winter weather, but rarely in bleak cold. They're so delighted with each other, catching up on all the news, rejoicing in communion like us, yearning for connection, flying towards each other in peril, in yearning, in hope. Carol, I want to uh, end with you and with your words as our last words. Um, so in a moment, I'll ask you to maybe read that last stanza or so again with the, with the communion. But um, I, I don't, I, maybe I'd love to just hear a few words about what, it, what inspired that, that poem as well before you do and then share that last stanza. But I'll, I'll just say as myself, and granted I'm a full-time working pastor, um, I, I hear the church in that poem or many other places of community, the sort of gathering, flocking together, chattering, being inspired by the joy. I can't, I can't tell you how many people have told me in you know, these past months of, oh, particularly in person, when I see someone, you know, I'm glad I came today. It's, it's a lot easier to watch online, and I, we really appreciate that, especially when we're out of town, and sometimes uh, it's just, it feels easier to stay home, but when I do, I miss the sort of gathering, chattering, communion that happens here naturally, uh, which has nothing to do with what the person in the pulpit says often, but it's, it's that gift of being together. And I mean, you even use the word communion, so it just feels like, oh yeah, this sort of sacred and yet sometimes spontaneous gathering. Um, yeah, I just think what a gift that we sort of have that in a multi-generational space like this here. And um, yeah, how, for some of us, it's still kind of figuring out, all right, what's the right balance and, and how do we, but how do we make sure that we find ourselves in those spaces uh, even when we're away? So we'd love to close with you just saying maybe a couple words about what inspired that poem and then if you could read whatever you feel like that wonderful last bit of it again. One of the things I love about poetry is it's so spare. It, it, it can be spare. Sometimes it isn't and I'm sorry, but I don't read poems that are longer than a page. I just don't. <laughs> So don't think you have to do that either. Um, but it can say so much in such a, a small amount of time. I've often joked that I became a poet because I didn't have time to be a novelist. Uh, <laughs> um, and I wanted to close, if I can, um, with what I think is another fun poem by Joyce Sutphin. She's one of ours, she's a Minnesota poet. I was lucky enough to do a reading with her once. And she wrote this poem, two reasons to keep this poem. Don't throw this poem away. Keep this poem in your pocket and read it when it's always your luck. You find yourself in the slowest line at the supermarket. Pull out this poem, unfold it carefully, and begin to read, your lips moving ever so slightly. Soon everyone in all 10 checkout lines will turn their lonely eyes to you, and a kind of hush will fall over that fluorescent world as they begin to shout, the poem, the poem, read us the poem. Don't throw this poem away. Slip it into an empty notebook and read to it every night and listen to what it says in the morning. Soon there will be more poems than the notebook can hold. Some will fall in love and get married. 
Some will move far away. After many years, the poems will have a family reunion. They will sit down and remember the way words came together, how much they liked the way things sounded, and how they were surprised as anyone by what they said. Wonderful. And, and um, I, I would love our last words to be yours again. Could, so could I, could I pester and ask you to read um, a last bit of crows there and we'll, we'll end on these hopeful words together. So they're so delighted with each other, catching up on all the news, rejoicing in communion, like us, yearning for connection, flying towards each other in peril, in yearning, in hope. May it be so. Thank you, Carol. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.